What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. One of the reasons why I was drawn to soccer at an early age was that international aspect. And I love the fact that when I walked out in my suburban Detroit existence onto my sidewalk and started juggling the ball, that there was a kid on the other side of the world, completely different language, completely different culture, but this was that connection in that they're juggling the ball too. And I loved that. This is the Reform Sports Project, a podcast about restoring healthy balance and perspective in all areas of sport through education and advocacy. Hi, this is Nick Bonacore from the Reform Sports Podcast. Today I'm speaking with Alexi Lalas, former professional soccer player, member of the National Soccer Hall of Fame, and analyst for Fox Sports. Well known as a standout defender on the U.S. men's national team during the 1994 World Cup, Alexi was also a member of the 1992 U.S. Olympic team and the 1998 World Cup squad. A father of two, Alexi and I discuss soccer's growth in the U.S., the costs associated with increasing the sport's accessibility, and the numerous benefits of playing soccer at the youth level. First of all, been a fan, you know, have uh, I've, you know, watched you play and compete, love your content, what you're doing. And what made me reach out to you, I mean, especially the timing of when I did, I saw you in, in shout out Tom Ferry from the Aspen Institute. I had him on as a guest not too long ago. I've connected him several times. I saw you guys kind of have a little back and forth speaking on the kind of the topic of youth sports and particularly as it, as it plays towards, you know, the pay to play and mm-hmm. soccer culture. My background, Alexi, I, uh, I played college and I played one year of, um, professional baseball over in Italy. So I was not, you know, anything close to a big leaguer here stateside, but um, six kids, like I mentioned to you, all involved with sports, but I, I've been very entrenched in the baseball scene uh, for a long time. So I've seen that I've talked to enough college coaches and every sport, but you know, as far as the soccer side, I'm not as knee deep into the culture as I am particularly in baseball. So I would just love to know where you are, and what is your feedback and perspective on the state of youth sports today, particularly as it comes to the soccer side? I would love for you to take me through that. Sure. So a lot of the, uh, you know, I guess the consternation and the debate and the discussion when it comes to uh, 
youth soccer in particular is about development. Uh, we have a huge country. Obviously, unlike other sports, soccer is not king. And while we do have a history and a tradition when it comes to soccer, it's nothing compared to all the other sports that are ingrained in our history um, and have much more kind of traditional pathways. And so the question is, how are you going to mine that talent uh, that youth talent out there. Mm -hmm. And how are you going to create not just more soccer players, but more soccer fans in the U.S.? And so a lot of the conversation is around uh, that development pathway. And let's be honest, what the cost is. And sure. you know the pay to play thing. It's not just relative to soccer. I know it's involved in a lot of other sports. I mean, you got six kids, and oh yeah, obviously it adds up. And especially in this day and age, when you know I'm older than you, but still we grew up in a time where it it wasn't this age of specialization from a very young mm -hmm. age where you go into a specific uh, sport. A lot of us grew up playing a bunch of different sports. Now it's a little naive to think that that's just going to continue on. And so all of that is part of the conversation uh, right now. What's ended up happening, I think, is while this industry of youth sports has arisen, and when it comes to youth soccer, you know, a very robust and uh, industry that is full of potential to grow and continue to grow because of the sheer numbers that we have and the simplicity of the game and the popularity of the game is this, this vilifying of the men and women that work in it uh, and many that make a living and many that don't make a whole lot of money and some that make, relative to others, more money. And so I was just, sure. I think, going back and talking about how, while we can certainly have a conversation about limiting costs and deferring costs, and at times maybe even eliminating costs, I want to make sure that, that that part of the conversation is separate from all of these incredible women and men that work each and every day on and off the field to propel, in my case, soccer forward and deserve the money that they get in many of the businesses that they have formed or the businesses that they are a part of. I love how you said, make them out to be villains, right? And and quite frankly, I don't like that either because I feel like it's so easy to put everyone in this in this, you know, in this space and say, oh, because you charge fees or you make a living, you know, you're you're this, you're you're no good. Well, that, that's just not the case. You know, there are a lot of folks out there in different organizations who are doing great work. I think what happens is you have people that have bad experiences that aren't doing the right things, and you know, that everyone wants to put everyone into the same you know, stratosphere and say that, hey, everyone out there who's charging kids or charging families fees for their services is, is, is not doing the right thing. That's simply not true. How do you think, and I know you met, I'm 44 years old. I think you got a few years on me, but like you said, we're relatively in the same time frame growing up and, and all that. And certainly before the social media and technology area really took off. How was it for you and your youth soccer experience, you know, growing up? I know you mentioned non-specialization. Was it different sports for you? And basically, how'd it go for you? Yeah, so I grew up in the suburbs of Detroit. Uh, up there in Michigan, it is the law that you have to play hockey. And I actually played a whole lot more hockey than soccer growing up and played multiple sports. And back then, we would just call it kind of travel soccer. And so at a younger age, I started to play on, you know, first off, I grew up playing you know, mom and dad coaching and orange peels and juice boxes at halftime and all that kind of stuff. My dad is Greek. And so he was the foreign guy. So let's put him as a coach. So, and, and, and this is, this, this happened then and it actually continues on today. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. And then I kind of graduated up to playing uh, on travel teams and doing that. But I also played high school uh, soccer and that has kind of dissipated and kind of gone the way of the dodo in terms of the pathway that a lot of kids take now where they, you know, they go and they play club. And in many instances, they're not even allowed to play 
uh, high school soccer. And it's, it's at times, you know, high school soccer, not all high school soccer is created equally. But I did benefit from that experience of playing in high school soccer. Not even the kicking of the ball, but the whole socialization of it and representing your school and, you know, coming to school on game day and wearing your, your jersey and all that kind of stuff. I benefited from that high school type of experience. Now, I know not everybody is going to have that same type of experience, and some kids will not want to do that. Um, so I did specialize in the sense that I gravitated at an early age to soccer. I love mm -hmm. the creativity. I love the autonomy that the sport uh, that the sport gives you. And my parents uh, were not athletes or sports people. My mom was a writer and my dad was a professor. And they just saw this as their... It kept their kid out of trouble and he was good at it. And so they supported me, but they certainly didn't pressure me. And it wasn't a means to an end of getting into a better college. Um, it was something that I don't think any of us anticipated would lead to a, a life and a career on and off the field going forward. Now, as I sit in front of you at 53 years, but I grew up in the 70s and 80s in the U.S., in the suburbs where AYSO was coming to be. And, and soccer in general was starting to become more of a cool thing to do, but it was still kind of niche. And soccer people are, are a rare breed, um, but that tent has gotten so much bigger since I grew up. And again, those pathways that we have now for young players to develop are are so much, so much greater. But back to your point about the actual men and women that work in it, you know, we talk about pay to play and there's actually a lot of uh, now opportunities for young players that uh, are free and academies that major league soccer teams have and other teams mm -hmm. have going forward. But there's a lot of stuff when you grow up that requires payment for you to do extracurricular activities, whether it's sports or any other activities and piano lessons sure. and all these other things. And again, we don't we don't vilify those people and those men and women that do it. And so, again, it comes back to, you know, I believe in. I believe in capitalism. Uh, I believe sure. in doing what's right. And I think you mentioned it earlier. Sometimes we we look at people that are in the youth sports space and we think that, that it should be some altruistic type of venture and it should be some sort of charity and it shouldn't be done with a business in mind. And I just, uh, I completely reject that notion as it doesn't mean that you can't have a passion for it. It doesn't mean that you can't be emotionally invested. It also doesn't mean that you can't recognize that you are doing things that are going to arm, if you will, young people with tools that might even go beyond the actual soccer field or any sporting field out there. We all know the benefits of actually playing sports and the socialization and the interaction and the physical activity, all those different things, but it can be a, a job and it can be a for-profit type of venture without having it become, you know, sleazy or bad or, you know, a factory type of setting that doesn't recognize that you're dealing not just with young players, but you're dealing with young kids. So on that thread that you and Tom had, uh, I think it was he, when he quote retweeted, he talked about the retention piece of soccer. And he actually, I thought it was a good point because it's like the, it's like the sport you introduced to your kids. And oftentimes is soccer, mm -hmm. um, yep. is the system that's currently in place. Do you feel, feel like it's more advantageous to kids and development of the best soccer players the United States can put out there today versus the way it was when you grew up in the 70s and 80s? Because I think that's very interesting. Because um, for me, I feel like you've had more professional athletes in other sports, case in point, rest in peace, Kobe Bryant. He used to talk about his soccer experience and 
you had Chad Ochocinco, you know, playing FIFA World Cup and all these little things kind of draw attention to the sport, maybe for fans that aren't necessarily originally involved, like it can it can get eyeballs. So do you feel like the culture in youth sports today is more advantageous to developing the best soccer players the U.S. can produce or has it improved from when you were a kid? It has improved. And I mentioned some of the pathways and the opportunities. I mean, look, it's night and day from when I was growing up and what a, you know, a kid, we're recording this on Monday, October 2nd in 2023. And a young boy or girl that's growing up in the United States that wants to be involved in soccer. First off, there's many more opportunities and therefore there's many more kids that are involved. And then those pathways to, if you, if you care about it, the elite type of player, there's so many more pathways, both domestically and internationally. And that gets to the aspirational uh, aspect of it. And you mentioned Kobe and Chad and these types of athletes. Let's be honest, if they were growing up in maybe a different culture in a different country where soccer is king, that would be what they would aspire to be. Sure. And me growing up, you know, I didn't have any players. I had nobody to emulate. I had nobody to look up to. My stars were Detroit Red Wings and you know yeah. and rock stars that was that was basically who i looked up to detroit rock city you had to be a kiss fan Ex right of course you know yeah. i mean i want to be gene simmons and i want to <laughs> be uh you know uh steve steve eiserman or something like that yeah but nowadays when they are growing up they have their own league whether it's major league soccer or usl or from a women's perspective nwsl they've seen multiple world cups played in their country they also see players that are going over to europe and there's a real aspiration for a lot of kids to, to go and play in those big leagues over in europe and they see more americans getting opportunities over there i mean i had to i had to star in a world cup in order to get an opportunity to play in Europe. And we have players yeah. nowadays in their teens that haven't even played a game in Major League Soccer that are getting recruited and bought to go and play uh, over in Europe. So that's wonderful. That warms the cockles of my redheaded American heart to see <laughs> the opportunities that are that have arisen for this generation going forward. But again, it's such a unique aspect because we're competing with all of these other leagues, we're competing with all of these other sports, and we're competing with, in some instances, you know, a century head start in terms of what they are as sports in, and ingraining into our society. So when you hear, because the argument would be, and I'm interested in your thoughts here, is the cost and having a baseball background, I, I feel like baseball has turned into a country club sport. I mean, it is, it's very, very expensive um, compared to what it was, right? Compared to what it was. That's my perspective. But, you know, at times I'm like, well, are the most talented I've had, you know, Eric Backage, Tim Corbin, you know, some of the best coaches in college baseball today talk about how, you know, baseball, it's, it's Eric Backage literally said to me, it's too wide. Like there's a demographic that can't, that doesn't play, that don't have access, can't play. So do you feel like at times while I get, listen, I'm a capitalist as well. Um, do you feel though, at times the, the barrier for entry to some clubs really can kind of eliminate some of the best athletes, like some of the best kids that, that really can help drive the, the sport or any sport forward. Yeah. I mean, look, I want as many people, man, woman, and child in the United States that want to play soccer to play soccer. All right. We talk in the American soccer circles about free soccer, free soccer costs. Somebody has to pay for all of that free soccer. And inevitably, when we get into these discussions, my question comes back to, all right, fine. I want it too. It would be wonderful to live in this idealistic situation in a country and culture, again, where soccer isn't king, where anybody that wants to play soccer can play it for free. But who's going to pay for that? And that's usually where the conversation uh, ends. It doesn't mean that that can't be a goal. It also doesn't mean 
that you don't recognize and respect how far we've come when it comes to free academies that are out there that are associated with teams or even clubs that have been around having programs that have scholarships set up and that have situations where you can defer money and uh, where other folks will pay. All that kind of stuff exists, but it's still not enough. And I would be the first to recognize that this slipping through the cracks, we often talk about that in soccer and probably a lot of different sports in that we want to have as many people experience the game as possible. And from a pure competitive standpoint, the more people we have playing the game, the better teams we are going to have, the better talent we are going to have. And we have had so many decades now where if it is not accessible to a group uh, because of whatever, uh, you know, socioeconomical status uh, or, or location, I mean, we are a huge country, so location, uh, coaching, all, facilities, all those different things, then there is the potential to lose what could be an American Messi or something like that. Uh, that is That has changed dramatically, and there is less and less of that happening, but still a country our size, we're not getting to as many people as we want. And so I think we all agree that we want to you know, have this sport on offer to as many young kids as possible. It's just a matter of how are we going to pay for something like that and recognize it goes back to what we started talking about that all the men and women that are spending their time in these, in these situations, coaching and administrators and facilities and all that kind of stuff, they have to get paid and somebody has got to put that money. So I saw an interesting post on LinkedIn from a gentleman who's a great writer, has a great column, um, Andrew Petcash. He was a guest on this podcast. He gave some predictions what he sees in sports in the next five years or so. And one of them was, and he's just speculating, starting conversation and such, but he talked about how he feels the MLS is going to start to surpass Major League Baseball, you know, from a viewership standpoint. And, you know, I, I actually, I thought it was kind of interesting because baseball is in this unique place where you know, they're changing rules, right? Because they were losing fans, games are taking for trying to speed the game up a little bit. So I'm wondering how long, I mean, for someone who's entrenched in the culture, how long do you think it could be before you see soccer maybe actually compete? And I don't even want to say NFL because I feel like that's such a tough thing. But when do you think, do you think it's a reality where you can see soccer really start to kick the door and become quote unquote, one of the big three, even to, I mean, and, and maybe surpass or get to that point where it's in the same conversation as a sport like Major League Baseball? Yeah, the running joke for for soccer in America is it's the sport of the future uh, for the last 30 years. <laughs> you know, it just yeah. keeps going. You know, and when does it actually come to fruition? When do we see soccer you know, be a major sport in the U.S.? I would argue that it is already a major sport. And so when you talk about the major sports, I think you're doing a disservice. And I think you're showing your lack of understanding of the landscape out there when you don't include it. Major League Soccer uh, in particular, though, Major League Soccer's problem isn't that uh, there aren't soccer fans in the U.S. It's that there are not enough MLS fans. Soccer, mm -hmm. from a pure fan's perspective, has millions and millions of fans. As a matter of fact, the number one soccer league in the United States is Liga MX, the Mexican, the Mexican soccer league. Interesting. So actually trying to convert soccer fans into Major League Soccer fans, that's what MLS's job and their biggest challenge is, uh, is going forward. I do think that one thing that MLS has going for it uh, relative to the rest of the world is people want to come to North America. I think it's the greatest mm -hmm. country in the world for a number of different reasons. And when it comes to, you know, we're talking a lot nowadays about Messi coming over. And I think that that yeah. could be a real game changer in terms of providing a credibility and an authenticity that would have other players say, look, if Messi can do it, 
uh, coming off winning a World Cup, this is something that I can do. And for their families, for themselves, if they can get paid the same amount uh, of money and they get to live in the U.S. culture and their families get to live over here. And by the way, getting paid on time and consistently, you know, don't take that for granted around the world. But that happens over here. And, you know, there was a migration that happened 10, 20 years ago uh, in Europe from Italy, which was the best league in the world to England, which is now the best league in the world. Players didn't go to England because of the weather and the food, okay? They went because yeah. of the money. And if you were able to compete from a money perspective in North America and the credibility was there, plus with all of the wonderful advantages that North America has in terms of lifestyle that, let's be honest, Saudi Arabia doesn't have, now you're cooking. And I could see another migration happening. And so if and when the world looks at North America and Major League Soccer as a as the commissioner of Major League Soccer, Don Garber, would say a league of choice and a a, a destination type of league. That's when things start uh, start changing. But if I'm the other sports, the other four sports, absolutely. I see what soccer is doing in general and I see what MLS is doing. And I'm worried because if that's a stock that has incredible room to grow and get much, much bigger, given the demographics, given the realities on the ground when it comes to sports and given the changing of our country and culture. When we return, Alexi and I discuss soccer's cultural growth in both the U.S. and globally. Heading into break, we're back with another exciting learning opportunity from our friends at TeamSnap. You know the saying, don't judge a book by its cover. Well, when it comes to sports organizations, most are judged on their website when members are looking for information online. TeamSnap believes sports organizations should rely on a website to share their mission, philosophy, schedule, registration process, and more. With TeamSnap Website Builder, you can grow your sports organization and create a home where players, parents, coaches, and the community can stay connected. TeamSnap invites you to join their live webinar, Five Keys to Building a Successful Website, with TeamSnap Website Builder, hosted on Tuesday, October 24th. During this free webinar, you will learn how to create your website based on your goals and needs, enable mobile-friendly views, feature your teams, and that's just the beginning. Head to TeamSnap.com today and register for the free webinar, Five Keys to Building a Successful Website, with TeamSnap Website Builder, on Tuesday, October 24th. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand, it's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products, it's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. 
Where we left off, Alexi and I were about to talk about his passion for soccer and why he believes that kids who play the sport will remember that excitement for a lifetime. I agree. I mean, I know in my lifetime, I feel like it's getting more and more attention. And of course, you know, Messi being here, I mean, you have some of the biggest athletes in the world and it just, it's just getting so much attention. And it's really, I think it's great for these younger kids to be able to get in and to be able to see and see these when I played in Italy for, for that year, this is back in 2001, and it was my only time in Europe, and um, I thought a soccer game was like, you know, my high school soccer. You know, that's how naive yeah. I was, and I'm, I'm in Parma, and I don't know which team we went. We were on the road and went, and saw, but it was like an NFL game, and I think it was just like a regular, and they had like myself and a couple of the baseball players, and they had, there was this promo in our city, and they had a couple of the, the soccer players there, and I felt like I was like, a second grader, you know, the, it was the flock of people to see the soccer. Play. I mean, I was like, that's when it really opened my eyes. And I went and watched the game and was blown away by the energy of just like, this is like being in an NFL stadium. It was intense. It was awesome. And I, I became a fan for life from that point on. And I love the sport. And I also hear, cause I'll interview a lot of pro athletes and such. And, and a lot of them reference their multi-sport background, you know, when they were younger. And a lot of them talk about how much soccer really, particularly with the footwork piece of it, the spatial awareness, I haven't talked to an athlete who has accredited or recommended like, hey, if you want to play whatever it is, like soccer will help you in every other sport. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned hockey. A lot of a lot of soccer players have played hockey and a lot of hockey players, let's be honest, especially with the international aspect of the NHL, uh, have come from soccer backgrounds and play uh, and play soccer. And now, to your point, you know, there's a whole generation that when they wake up here in 2023, they don't look at soccer as anything different than any other sport. It is part of their sports palette, if you will. Uh, and yeah. this generation, you know, that grew up with soccer being part of their everyday existence. Obviously, they grew up playing FIFA. That was a huge, huge, huge. Um, it, I mean, that changed the perception of the game for a lot of people. And let's be honest, no it has educated multiple generations in terms of leagues around the world, teams around the world, colors. Uh, tactics, all, all that kind of stuff, management, all that kind of stuff through a video game, but it opened up the world. And one of the reasons why I was drawn to soccer at an early age was that international aspect. And I love the fact that when I walked out in my suburban Detroit existence onto my sidewalk in front of my house and started juggling the ball, that there was a kid on the other side of the world that I had absolutely nothing in common with, completely different language, completely different culture, but this was a thread and this was that connection in that they're juggling the ball too. And I loved that. I mean, look, I, I loved growing up playing all American sports. And like I said, I played much more hockey at times than, than soccer, but soccer was really unique and different to me. And I do think that this generation growing up right now looks, looks at soccer and, you know, kind of thinks globally, but acts locally in that, in that kind of vein and sees that soccer is this game and this thread that is shared with the rest of the world. And I, I know you had that experience when you went to a soccer game. A lot of mm -hmm. people that I meet, they go to a soccer game, you know, a soccer game in the U.S., uh, and they see the singing and they see the emotion. And it's two hours in and out. And it's nonstop action. There's not TV timeouts or anything like that. And they're just blown away at the entire experience of what soccer is, especially relative to maybe if your only experience is going to a high school game or to youth soccer out there. When you go and actually see a game played at a high level in a professional type of setting, it's incredibly exciting. And in that moment, there's a lot of people that say, you know what? I get it. I understand why this is the most popular game in the world. 
I want to say a little bit of my bias because I grew up in a football household and sure. people, you know, would often say they're obviously idiots. There's no physicality inside. I want you to talk, and I know you were a physical player. Can you talk about the physicality of soccer and, and talk about it's running eight miles or something crazy during the course of a game? Like what physical exertion goes into, you know, playing an entire soccer game and, ba and banging? I mean, the physicality sure, sure. of it. I think that that has started to dissipate and it's almost like a um, a dinosaur mentality that has to just kind of die off and become extinct. And and that's not just in terms of fans. That's also in terms of media. And that has that has really changed over the years. I mean, look, I, I grew up and as an American playing soccer in the 70s and 80s, I mean, there were you, you had to dodge the slings and arrows that were coming from all over. And this is, you know, this is a communist sport and this is, you know, homophobic stuff. And, uh, you know, just I mean, just just piling on because you were soccer. And, I kind of wore it as a badge of honor. You know, you were kind of this um, this misfit ragtag type of existence as a soccer dude back then. That's changed dramatically uh, over, the, yeah. over the years. But when it comes to the actual physical demands of the sport, obviously it's an incredibly aerobic type of uh, situation where you're running on a consistent basis and you're, you're, you know, you're sprinting, but then you're jogging, then you're sprinting, uh, then you're jogging. So purely from a physical perspective, uh, I think that there is a, um, it's not begrudging type of respect. I think ge in general, I'll, I'll, I'll meet other athletes from other sports and immediately they would say, listen, I, I know what I do is uh, I think it's it's uh, it's hard. But what you guys do in terms of running around, you know, for two hours on what you're doing, that's a whole nother level. There's not the stops yeah. and starts. Obviously, there's not the timeouts and stuff like that. Now, I'm six foot three. I was six foot four when I had all the hair. But yeah. you know, the reality <laughs> is that I was I was much taller for the era. But nowadays, I mean, when you look at the athletes, you look at someone like a Kylian Mbappe who plays for France. Yeah. I mean, these guys are big and they are strong and they are fast. And they would, you know, any American football team would salivate over having some of these some of these guys. So there's no again, if you saw Messi walking down the street, you wouldn't say, hey, there goes the greatest player that ever played the game if you didn't know anything about soccer. And so it. It, it accommodates all types. And that's something that I love about the soccer, but the physical part uh, you're running miles and miles and miles a game uh, that, you know, the tactical part in terms of where you play. And let's be honest, it is a low scoring type of sport. And so the yeah. hardest thing, the hardest thing to do in soccer is score a goal, but it's all also this incredibly cathartic orgasmic release when it happens, because it is relative to other sports so rare. And when it finally happens, it's the culmination of so much work and so much coordination. Some of that can be seen, obviously. Some of it's that's done behind the scenes and some of it's that's under the surface. But ultimately, it's it's, the, it's called the beautiful game, but it's also the simple game. All right. You go to a soccer game, you understand how it works. And yeah, it, you can take some time and you can figure out some of the little nuances out there. But it's a simple and beautiful game. But it does require it does require a motor when it comes to the physical uh, desires and necessities when it comes to the game. What are the benefits of playing the sport of soccer, particularly at the youth level? And why would it be in the parents' best interest or kids' best interest to not only participate, but, you know, to find ways in which if the kid enjoys the sport, like why should parents, from your perspective, maybe prioritize a sport like soccer or any sport for that matter, when you have so many others who are saying youth sports is just Listen, I think there's ways that it can be improved, but I think there's a lot of good as well. So I want you to kind of steer towards the good 
and what solutions that you think can maybe even improve the culture, you know, going forward. Okay. So let me, let me start just by, you know, being an advocate for soccer. All right. So uh, as I said, it's a simple game. I I know we've talked about the cost involved, but relative to many other games, it's, it's very limited in terms of cost in that all you need is a ball. All right. Uh, The, you know, the equipment is, you know, is very minimal relative to uh, other sports. And when it comes to a field, all you need is a space. It could be a space of grass. It could be concrete. It could be turf. It could be Dirt, uh, it's why it's played in so many different ways and, you know, down corridors and down alleyways and on streets and all, all these different things. And sometimes it's not even a ball that you need. Maybe it's a a, a sock filled with uh, newspaper or whatever it is. So the, the simplicity of the game, I think, is part of its, uh, of, of its beauty. Number two, uh, and I mentioned it a little bit, there is no archetype. There is no specific body structure that you need as opposed to other sports where, you know, height and speed and strength uh, are, uh, you know, are are necessary in order for you to be really, really good. Uh, you, yes, you have to be, uh, you know, I think a good athlete, but I think more you have to understand the the mathematics of the game, the geometry of the game, all of that kind of stuff. Number three, uh, it's nonstop action. If you've ever gone and watched kids play, yeah, they're kind of like these bees buzzing around the ball, but they're always moving and they're always involved and they're always active. There's not a lot of downtime in soccer. And I think that that ultimately is uh, is a good thing. Number three, um, or no, I don't know. I think I'm number five or six right now, but <laughs> the international aspect of it, I do think that that is incredibly attractive to people to know that this is a game that is played all over the world. And it doesn't mean by any stretch of the imagination that you can't be proud of your country or all the wonderful sports that we have. And I think this gets back to the bigger picture of why be involved in sports. Look, I, I know that I've lived a charm life and I'm one of the very few that has gotten the opportunity to be that small percentage that you know, go professional and play in Olympics and um, World Cups and that kind of stuff. The reality is that the vast majority out there are never going to get that. But that doesn't mean that they can't benefit from being involved in youth sports. And I mentioned, you know, the socialization. My, you know, my son is a okay soccer player. He's played AYSO for years and years and years. He changes teams each and every season so that he can socialize. And I want him to socialize. I want him to it has nothing to do with necessarily kicking a ball, but he has to come into a new team and he has to introduce himself to his new teammates and to his new coach. And he has to adapt and to adjust to a different type of setting. And while that might may or may not make him a better soccer player, for me, it doesn't really matter because I want him to have that type of experience. I want him at times to be out of his comfort zone, both on and off the field in, ter- in terms of the, the experiences that he has. The and I'm sure you've talked about it on the on the pod before about all the lessons that you can learn and oh, whether yeah, it's yeah. whether it's leadership or communication or how to deal with failure, how to deal with success, uh, how to be, uh, you know, how to be a leader in a sports setting, when to kick somebody in the butt, when to pat somebody on the on the back, all of those different dynamics that go on in a sporting environment that you then can translate to the real world. And that I guess I'll end it on this. We focus, uh, a soccer game is 90 minutes, right? So we focus so much on that 90 minutes in terms of developing talent that sometimes we forget. And even, unfortunately, we abdicate the responsibility that we have to that other 22 and a half hours. Uh, I would love every player to go on and have a wonderful career and be great soccer players at the highest level. That's not going to happen. But what I do want to happen is that we arm them with the skills to function 
as people in a productive society and in my country and culture here in the US, I want them to be that generation that leads the country that I love, the country that I believe is the greatest country in the world off the soccer field. And some of those lessons and some of those skills are learned, not just in youth soccer, but in youth sports. And so I think you're really not setting your son or your daughter up for failure, but I don't think you're giving them the best um, chance of success. And you're not giving them all of the different tools that they are going to need to be successful in society if you deprive them of the opportunity to play soccer at any level, by the way. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be elite. It doesn't have to be club. You don't have to be traveling all around, just running around and kicking a ball, running around and hitting a ball, or just being involved in that moment that we all know and that excitement. And it will last a lifetime. They will remember it for a lifetime. Dude, I love it. Alexi Lalas. Dude, where where can first of all, I love following your X, your Twitter now X feed when I love every freaking morning. You're like, what are we yelling about today? It always makes me laugh. Like, what are we yelling about today? You're just getting people fired up. Besides Twitter X, where can people find you and, and stay in touch? Yeah, so I have the State of the Union podcast uh, over at Fox, and uh, I do that a couple of times a week with my good friend David Mossy. And it's basically looking at the world of soccer. And as I mentioned, there's always somebody kicking a ball somewhere around the world. It's impossible you know, to, to retain all of it. So we kind of look at a top level of everything that's going around the world, especially with an eye to the U.S. So American players that are playing overseas and what's going on with the U.S. and all that. So we do that on a, a couple of times a, a week. Uh, you know, I continue to uh, work for Fox. We had a big summer with the Women's World Cup. I was in Qatar last winter. Next summer, we got a huge summer when it comes to uh, soccer here in the United States. The U.S. is hosting Copa America. So Messi in Argentina, Neymar in Brazil, and the U.S. team is actually going to be in that tournament. Also the Euros, which is the European championships that we'll be doing. And then obviously this huge ramp and lead up to 2026 when the U.S., Canada, and Mexico are hosting the World Cup. The first time the Men's World Cup is back in the U.S. Wow. since back in 1994 when uh, yours truly was running around with a whole lot more hair. Let's go. You look like Art Garfunkel out there. You were the man. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of hair ago. A lot of hair care products too. My goodness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, dude, I can't thank you enough for coming on. This has been freaking awesome. Hey, listen, I, I thank you so much for, uh, you know, for first off reaching out and for, you know, talking about these things. It's it's important. And, you know, we can agree and disagree and go back. I sure. think, you know, this comes from a conversation that we had, uh, you know, on on X and, you know, sometimes that can get derailed, but I thought it was civil and I thought it was respectful and I enjoyed it. And, you know, people agree with me. They disagree with me. They vehemently disagree with me. They scream and yell at me and do all that different stuff. But, you know, ultimately the more face to face or Zoom to Zoom, uh, at least yeah. human beings talking, I think the better off it is for the sports and you know i don't i certainly don't have all the answers i know you don't have all the answers but at least talking about this and trying to work some things out and uh you know at least examining where we are is good and while we kick ourselves for what we haven't done as a nation when it comes to soccer or sports or just as a nation in general sometimes we also have to pat ourselves on the back for, with how far we've come because it's pretty incredible what we have when it comes to our country and the opportunities that we have. doesn't mean that we don't have problems and it doesn't mean we can't get better and we need to work each and every day to get better. Now, you, I know you do it and I know a lot of your listeners uh, are doing it out there and they're doing it a lot of times for not a whole lot of money and certainly not any type of recognition, but the men and women that each and every day are pushing that boulder up the hill. It's a labor of love, but it's still a labor. They deserve a tremendous amount of credit because you're doing so much that goes beyond kicking or hitting the ball, like I said. And uh, you should be thanked. You should be praised. Uh, and you should make as much money as you possibly can in the process. <laughs> hey, amen, man. I love it, dude. I couldn't agree with you more, bro. I appreciate you. Thank you. 
That's Alexi Lalas, former professional soccer player. Thanks for listening to the Reform Sports Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, we would appreciate it if you took a moment to rate and review our podcast as we work to grow our community of supporters and advocates. For more Reform Sports content, please subscribe to our newsletter and blog at reformsportsproject.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. 